Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Legends of Sports and Music. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver, and today I'm going back several years. I'm thinking six, seven years ago, my old time and long time podcast partner Logan and I did an episode chronicling three of the most exciting and pivotal events of the Junkyard Dog's illustrious career. We also made a uh, an, an argument as to why he belongs in the most prestig- prestigious Hall of Fame in professional wrestling, and that's Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. So sit back, enjoy. Um, you also have a bunch of clips, a bunch of promos, that I've added to spice up this episode. Enjoy the conversation between Logan and I. And listen to us discuss the greatness of Sylvester Ritter. Better known as the Junkyard Dog. Get some ready. 
following in the trailblazing footsteps of Bobo Brazil and big cat Ernie Ladd, Sylvester Ritter, better known as the Junkyard Dog, rose to stardom in the 1980s as one of the most beloved characters in WWE history. In the ring, the Junkyard Dog was a pioneer in the art of power wrestling. He was also remarkably agile for a man of his stature. And Ritter truly was as tough as a junkyard dog, winning the Mid-South North American Championship four times. And you, North American Heavyweight Champion. Sylvester Ritter broke down racial boundaries, becoming one of the top drawing superstars wherever he competed. In 1984, JYD joined the WWE. His unique personality and free-spirited style made him a fan favorite. And he loved to share the spotlight with them, often encouraging younger members of the audience to join him in the ring. You get your legs down, man. You start moving. Hey, try to try, try. Come on. That junkyard dog can do it all. The juker is going at it. He established how a superstar's influence can reach far beyond their work inside the squared circle. JYD personified what it means to be a WWE superstar. Junkyard Dog visits hospitals to see that the sick are inspired. Who is that, Jess? The Junkyard Dog. In 2004, the master of the thump would officially become one of sports entertainment's elite as he was posthumously inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Thank you for giving him a chance in this organization. Although the world said goodbye to Sylvester Ritter far too early, in recognition of Black History Month, WWE proudly honors the late, great Junkyard Dog. I mean, he wasn't just a North American champion or a Hall of Famer, he was definitely an American hero, one of my all-time favorites. You know, all February long, we celebrate Black History Month on the WWE Network and its video on-demand service. I, 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 I. The snake man, Kevin Sullivan, the one-man gang, or whoever else there, the boogeyman, the dog, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, you got the salt which is Boogeyman. You got the black papa, which is a dog. And you got the red papa, which is Chief Wahoo McDaniel. And I'm gonna tell you, you can see right here on national television today, when they try to get to the old dog, put knuckle-knots all over my noggin, have my head like a baby roof. I'm that bad to the bone, bad to the bone. And ready tonight, big boys. I'm telling you, those four squares circling this ring, here's the dog yard, and only the dog lies friends in his yard. And I'm gonna tell you something, Snake Man. Come out with your little pick, or whoever, Bobby Bad Bass, Big Angelo Mosca, and whoever else decided to get in that ring. We are bad to the bone. Get it? Bad to the bone. And a city so nice they had to name it twice. Miami, Miami. Mid-South, the North American title has either been a blessing or a curse to many people, depending on how you look at it. And we've seen the power and the prestige and the income earned off of it either corrupt a lot of people or bring a lot of people to the heights of their ability. I've never thought that a title as such was what motivated you. You seem to go around me and everybody else. It seems that your family's first, that you do love this business, and that you always go out and give 100% for the people and for yourself. But after what happened last week with Bob Roop, 
when they had the one-man gang come in and try to do to you what they did to DiBiase and possibly re-injure your bad leg and put you out of wrestling, knowing you that a good defense is a great offense, how do you feel about the North American title situation? Well, uh, Bill, you know, I'm a very slow and methodical type person. I, I fought for everything I ever had. And that's what the, the incident that happened on television last week with the one-man gang and roof. I've never been the type of person to chase anything. I always waited for the opportunity to knock at my door. But now, Bob Roof, I'm knocking, and I'm going to come in. Well, I think that serves warning to Bob Roof, and I think that's the way you got to get rid of them is take their titles and their prestige away from them. But you also heard Ted DiBiase, and the title thing is really getting to him because uh, the way it was taken from him, certainly I can sympathize with him as can you. What do you think about his statement? Well, you know, I'm, I've never been the type of person that, that box myself in, and I feel very bad because D-Boss is boxing himself in, and he's a family man. And, you know, he's one of the very personal friends I have, but I think he's going back the wrong way by boxing himself in a situation like that. Well, only time will tell on that. Another thing, Junkyard Dog, that Charlie Lay and the board of directors of Mid-South have passed a ruling. It's seemingly enforcing division of titles because you hold one half of the Mid-South Tag title, you also hold the Louisiana title, and your partner, Mr. Olympia, holds the Mississippi title. And they stated that the North American title is a regional title and can't be tied to one state, as is the tag titles. And if somebody, either you or Mr. Olympia, should win the North American title, you would have to vacate your state title, although you would still be able to compete as tag team champions. How do you feel about that ruling? Well, I know the Louisiana title means a lot to me. The people here in Louisiana have been very, very late to one and they helped me a whole lot, but if I get the opportunity to wrestle ball route for the North America, then if I get the opportunity to win that, the North America, I'm st I still would like to represent the people throughout the world because that North American title will take you all over the world, and I would cherish and honor that North America just as much as I do the Louisiana, and I actually hate to have to vacate the, the Louisiana title because they represent the people here in Louisiana, the state of Mississippi, but then again, if I am fortunate enough to win that North America title, if I get the opportunity that I can represent the people here and lose out all over the world. Well, thank you, JYD. And, of course, that's conjecture at this time. But when you're talking to Junkyard Dog, it seems like whatever he sets his goals, he's able to accomplish it. We'll just have to see as time goes by. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pro Wrestling Opinion Show. And today we are talking about the Junkyard Dog and some of his greatest performances, and why he belongs in the Observer Hall of Fame. And I'm joined once again by Juan Silva. What's up, man? Hey, good afternoon, Logan. Good afternoon, classic wrestling fans. As we talk about today, one of the greatest drawing cards in any territory. In the history of Mid-South, he is the number one drawing card. And if you look in the history of the Observer Hall of Fame, the biggest drawing card in each territory always gets in. Mid-South UWF equals the JYD, the Junkyard Dog. Now, uh, he was probably the biggest draw ever in that in that territory, right? It's not even, it's not even close, 100%. And uh, he is currently uh, not even on the ballot, is he? He's on the ballot. Uh, they put him back on the ballot last year. All right. And uh, what's been, uh, in your mind, been keeping him off the ballot? Just uh, his working ability? What I... Dave has a rule that if you get less than a certain percentage, you get uh, kick off, kicked off the ballot, and that's what happened to him when he was first on the ballot many, many years ago. Now, Dave, as uh, I, if you've read some of the old observers, he really did not like the junkyard dog. He used to call him the junk food dog for a long time. Because what happened, Logan, 
The junkyard dog in the early 80s in the Mid-South was built like a brick shit house. But then he became a, uh, he became addicted to cocaine. He became an alcoholic. He was living the life of the high lifestyle, dealing with the women, and he let himself go. <laughs> so by 86, 87, he was no longer a, a brick shit house. He was a fat slob. So that's why they would call him the junk food dog, because it looked like he was having his fun with all the junk food. Now, in these matches that you uh, had me watch, uh, these are in his uh, early part of his career. Right now, yeah, you said he's, he's chiseled, basically. He's, uh, if you look he's, at the matches, the two matches from Mid-South, he's chiseled. And the um, yeah. last match, which would be Terry Funk, would, would be around the time where he stopped taking care of himself. That's when he started eating the junk food. All right, so uh, we'll talk about this. Uh, these three matches. Why don't you uh, let us know what they are? All right, we're going to go first from... June of 1982, um, the Junkyard Dog versus Ted DiBiase on an episode of Mid-South Championship Wrestling. This was the turning of of Ted DiBiase from being the number two face to the number one heel in the Mid-South for the next three years. Then we go to April of 1983 from the Superdome, a match with the always very unheralded Mr. Olympia. This match, once again, both these matches, the first match to talk about, is for the main title in the Mid-South, the North American Heavyweight Championship. And then the final match will be from the fall of 1985. Uh, a tremendous feud. This was a great feud. The feud between the Junkyard Dog and Terry Funk. A matchup from the Boston Garden. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Now, uh, this uh, thing with, um, I think the first one is what, uh, Teddy Biasi? Yes, Teddy Biasi. So Ted DiBiase was his uh, his partner, but why don't you talk about a little bit of the history of this feud? Yeah, what what happened is the Junkyard Dog when he first came into Mid South late 1979, Bill Watts wanted to build a territory around him because Bill Watts was always looking for that big, big time black baby face, African American baby face that would draw because he had ter- New Orleans, Mississippi, he had territories that had a huge African-American population that hadn't been touched. So he knew if he, if he centered the promotion around a charismatic black baby face, that those people would come in droves. And the Junkyard Dog in early 1980 began his ascent to the top of the Mid-South card to, the, to become the greatest Mid-South drawing card of all time. Why? Because they did an angle a Logan in the in I would say early 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 spring early winter late winter the early spring of 1980 there was an angle that Bill Watts orchestrated with the fabulous Freebirds Michael Hayes Buddy Roberts and Terry Gordon they came in the ring and they um they challenged JYD to a match during the match they blinded the junkyard dog and this feud became electric. The junkyard dog went on television. How did they blind him? Uh, with the shaving cream. Michael Hayes had this shaving cream that could make your hair, make you lose your hair. And they accidentally threw the cream in junkyard dog's eyes. Junkyard wow. dog, they, Bill Watts went, went, went all out with this, with, with, with this angle. He put the JYD in a hospital room, in a hospital, with bandages on his eyes. And he talked about how the junkyard dog's daughter was just born, which was, once again, Bill Watts' reality with fantasy. 
JYD's daughter had just been born. And so the junkyard dog is in his hospital bed saying, I'm never going to be able to see my daughter. I can hold her, but I can never see my daughter's eyes. I can't see. Michael Hayes, I'm going to make you pay for this. If I can ever get my eyesight back, I'm going to make you pay for not allowing me to see my daughter when she was born. That was that was so touching, Logan. This is back in 1980. That Mid-South fans started sending money to that hospital for the junkyard dog. <laughs> so he could have so he could have eye surgery to regain his eyesight. So yeah, right. That touched off a few epic proportions. In the fall, in the summer, August of 1980, he had a dog collar match with Michael Hayes in the Superdome that drew between 30 to 40,000 people. Back in 1980, Logan, 30 to 40,000 people, unheard of. And in that that match culminated in JYD winning the feud. It was a dog collar match, so he would be able to grab him without having to see. After defeating and getting running the Freebirds out of town, he miraculously gained his eyesight back, and he became a huge draw from the moment at angle to the summer of 1984 when he defected to the WWF. So we go to June of 1982, Logan, and the Junkyard Dog needed another heel to feud with. So Ted Biasi went to Ernie Ladd's office. Ernie Ladd was the booker at that time for Bill Watts from Mid-South. And he told Ernie Ladd, look, I got the perfect heel to headline against JYD. Ernie Ladd was, who, who? DiBiase is me. Bill Watts loved the idea. Because Ted DiBiase and Junkyard Dog in real life were best friends. The Junkyard Dog was the best man at Ted DiBiase's wedding. And if that's you see this clip, they both mentioned that. Is so, that true? Yes. Once oh. again, <laughs> fantasy dealing with reality. The Junkyard Dog was the best man at Ted DiBiase's wedding. When Ted DiBiase went through problems where he needed money, Junkyard Dog gave him money. And the same thing happened years later when the JYD was down and out. Ted DiBiase gave him money. That's the type, type, type of friendship they had. So this was, this was perfect for this match, Babyface versus Babyface, June of 1982, for the, for the JYD's North American Championship. All right, so they now they uh, were going into this match as like a babyface versus babyface match, like they were going to respect each other. Yes. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, you got uh, they brawl a little bit, and you got uh, who's the commentator that was waiting to fight them, uh, waiting to fight Junkyard Dog after he won. At this point in time, Bob Roop was feuding with both the JYD and Ted DiBiase, so that was That's the right. Bob Roop who was a member of the 1968 United States Olympic team in real life and um, was one of the guys who helped train Lex Luger and was Lex Luger's manager, personal manager for while in Florida in the late 1980s. Right on. So, so he's, uh, he's, you know, he, he did a good job of commentating this, and then he's like, no way can, uh, can love- uh, Ted DiBiase beat the junkyard dog. <laughs> if, if Ted DiBiase can't beat me and the junkyard dog beat me, there's no way in the world he could beat the junkyard dog. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. So, so he's he's um, uh, coming, and all of a sudden, um, Ted DiBiase takes out some uh, like brass knucks or something from his knife and uh, knocks out the junkyard dog cold. Yeah, and uh, culminated and, uh, that's, a big feud, a big feud that will culminate with once again the JYD. Um, it will come, it, it, the feud will continue. Remember, we on one of one of our people can look at the archives. 
we did um, Wrestling's Greatest Matches, a match between the JYD and Mr. Olympia, the next perfect segue, against DiBiase and Matt Bourne. The, lose, the, loser, of the, pro have, the loser of the fall will have to leave Mid-South for 90 days. Jim, Jim Duggan comes out in a gorilla suit, spears the JYD. The JYD gets pinned, and he has to leave the territory for 90 days, and he comes back as Stagger Lee, and that continues the feud. Finally, after defeating the uh, after running Terry Teddy Teddy B out of the Mid South, his taxi partner Mr. Olympia turns on him, and that sets up the next feud, the next match we're talking about from the spring of 1983 from the Superdome for the vacant North American Championship inside the steel cage, Mr. Olympia versus the JYD. Now, who was who Mr. Olympia? What was his real name? Jerry Stubbs, um, one of Carl Stern's favorite wrestlers of all time. If you take the mask off, he looks like Arn Anderson with less hair. But when you put the mask on, he's charismatic because he was a great promo. He, he, he was great. with. I loved him with the mask. Without the mask, he looked like somebody's grandfather. But with the mask on, he had great charisma because you hit the fact that he was bald. Yeah, and he also had a great mouthpiece in Sheik the Sheik. Akbar was great. Skandor Akbar was one of JY. Well, JYD would always fight Skandor Akbar's men like like Hulk Hogan would fight Bobby Heenan's men. It was always Skandor Akbar throwing one man after another after to try to get rid of the junkyard dog. But Skandor Akbar looked to me like just like a redneck with a fucking head head scarf on. But anyway. no, he's <laughs> like, actually from Lebanon in real life. Oh yeah. All right, well, he he didn't have an accent or anything. So. He, 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 he came to um, Dallas uh, in his early 20s, and he stayed in Dallas for many, many years, so he developed that southern accent. That, that, so when you see him in the 80s, you see this guy with a, with a, who's supposed to be a sheik from, from Saudi Arabia with a southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, they, they're, uh, so, so then does he join up? Uh, does Ted DiBiase join up with him, or what's the deal? Well, after Teddy Biasi turns on the JYD, he forms the Rat Pack, which the general, Skander Akbar, is the leader of. Yeah, okay. So then, and now he leaves the territory eventually. Um, does, where does he go, Teddy Biasi? Oh, he goes to Georgia, but then he comes back. And around this time, when um, the, 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 the match between J, uh, JYD and Mr. Olympia, DiBiase had already come back to Mid-South. So he's uh, having this match with... Uh, Mr. Olympia, and uh, why don't you? It's a very quick match. Uh, well, it's not a quick match. This is five minutes, five minutes highlights of a twenty-something minute match. They hit oh. the main points. This match, and I remember the first wrestling magazine I ever bought, Logan, was in the spring of 1983. On the cover was the Junkyard Dog. It was the Ring Wrestling Magazine, and they covered this match. And I always wanted to. I, this is the first time I got to see a clip of this match. I was looking for this match. That's why I put it here, because in the magazine, the magazine uh, describes exactly what happened at the end. The junkyard dog got blinded by one of Skandor Akbar's henchmen. Once again, they're going back to the blinding. The fans are going crazy because, oh, no, our hero's getting blinded again. So a fan comes to ringside, doesn't want the JYD to lose his eyesight again, throws beer in JYD's eyes, which is perfect. They wound up arresting that guy. But it, it worked perfectly because Bill Watts sped up the finish. He, Mr. Olympia put JYD in the sleeper hold. JYD kicks off the ropes. The momentum pinning 
Mr. Lapierre, as he continues to try to put Junkyard Dog to sleep, Junkyard Dog regains the North American Championship. Oh, man, and the promo afterward, man. They were so angry about this. Oh, uh, yeah, but... right, Paul was great. Oh, you, you guys robbed us. You could have counted to a hundred. But anyway, so we got um, that match. Now that match was. Um, what, 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 how can you explain though why JYD was so loved? Like, what was it about him? Because. He was charismatic. He was a great promo in his prime, as you can see in the promo with Teddy. He was. He was. The black man Superman. He was the average black man Superman. He, this is New Orleans, uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, Biloxi, Mississippi, poor urban black towns. And JYD was their Superman, was their hero. It was like, wow, this guy, he's going to beat all the bad white ba- bad guys, beat them down. And he always, he would always make that Superman come back. And he, and he was, and he was, whenever the matches were over, he'd go in the crowd, he hugged the fans. He was like Hulk Hogan, like a Hulk Hogan guy. Yeah, he was the black Hulk Hogan before Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan right. hadn't developed yet. Yeah, yeah. So you can see why Vince would want him, especially to, like, kill that territory. Well, Vince, Vince stole him because Vince went and he was attempting to steal every um, region's top babyface. He couldn't do it with Lawler because Lawler was owner of the Memphis territory. Uh, he couldn't do it with Dusty because Dusty was in bed with the Crockets and Flair because um, he tried to get Flair, but Flair was very loyal to Jim Crockett. But he got Piper out of Portland. He got JYD out of Mid-South. He went and got all the uh, Hogan out of AWA, all the top baby faces he could to help destroy those territories because what he would do, Logan, is that he would go opposition to them with their top face right away. In a main event, oh, if you want to you want to come see your, your your hero, you can only check him when the WWF comes to town. So when JYD uh, when JYD uh, left, I mean, do you think if he had stayed in that territory, he would be in the Observer Hall of Fame now, right? Yeah, because he would have continued to be the number one. Now the promotion died in 1987. I think if JYD would have stayed with uh, Mid South and they had gone national, they would have continued. To probably stay around for at least they might have even got the TBS contract that Turner had promised them. Things might have changed had JYD stayed in the Mid South, and I will guarantee you, had he stayed in the Mid South for another three, four years, with with record numbers continuing to grow in New Orleans, no man ever drew in New Orleans like the Junkyard Dog. He would have continued to draw, and yes, he definitely he definitely would have been part of that original class that um Dave did back in '96. Now, when he was in that. Uh... Uh, on that top spot in that territory, he did actually wrestle Ric Flair a couple times, didn't he? I don't remember. I know he wrestled Bachwinkle. I don't think he wrestled Flair. Okay, so it was the AWA territory. Yeah, it wasn't it? No, Mid South was an independent territory. Um, uh, Bill Watts had no affiliation with the NWA or AWA. The reason JYD wrestled Mick Bachwinkle was because Bill Watts had a piece of the Houston territory, and JYD was a huge draw in Houston. And Bachwinkle also owned a piece of the Houston Territory, so that's why that match occurred. So there's never been a match between Ric Flair and Junkyard Dog? I just yeah, seem to remember. Champion, yeah, in 1990, Clash of the Champions. Oh, okay, there you go. 
So so there's uh, so JYD gets into the WWE, and then uh, is that his first feud with Terry Funk? Now, when he first comes into WWE, Logan, he he doesn't have a feud right away. They put him. He's basically a special attraction slash tag team partner. He teams with Ricky Steamboat. He teams with Tito Santana. He teams with Superfly Snooker. He teams with Hulk Hogan. But he doesn't have a real feud until mid midway part of 1985 when Terry Funk comes into the territory. And a lot of people remember this. You probably remember this too, Logan. There was a match where Terry Funk was abusing the ring announcer, the famous pedophile Mel Phillips. And He's beating him down, and the JYD comes out and saves Mel Phillips from the beating. And that's what sets up this feud between him and Terry Funk. And it was a great feud. Terry Funk bumped his ass off. One of the greatest matches in the history of Saturday Night Event was a match between Terry Funk and the JYD. A month before this match we're talking about, from the fall of 1985, Boston Gardens, Terry Funk versus the Junkyard Dog. Right here. So here we go with Terry Funk, and then you got... uh, uh Jimmy Hart there in all his glory. Uh, so tell, take us through this quick match. Yes, uh, uh, this was uh, Jimmy Hart in his prime as the annoying manager with the megaphone. <laughs> yeah, really good. Now they they uh, they go in there. They're uh, they, I mean here, like I mean I think uh, JYD still looks pretty good here. I mean you're saying he's still not he's still a little fatter than he was. If you look at it from the first match that we showed on this on this podcast to now, you've been, he's got a gut. He didn't have a gut when we first when you first saw him. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, he gets that they 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 roll around. He's uh, he's throwing him around like he's still doing the the, the black Superman thing, and then uh, he gets caught on the outside. Um, oh, that and, was uh, because he's chasing um, Jimmy Hart. And Terry Funk catches him on the outside, and, and you hear Jimmy Hart, get him, Terry, Terry, get him, Terry, Terry, get him. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and, and Junkyard Dog is basically like, you know, he, he does throw some pretty damn good punches. Uh, that's uh, another thing. He probably threw some of the best punches in the business. In order to work for Bill Watts, your punches had to be realistic. Because if your punches weren't realistic, he'd take you to the back and show you how to throw a real punch by really punching you. <laughs> I, I don't know if he wanted to fuck with JYD. South, the, the guys that came from Mid South, the Freebirds, they do hell of a punches. They do great punches. JYD, uh, Ted DiBiase, Ted DiBiase had Hacksaw Duggan. Those punches look like they really were knocking your head off because Bill Watts wanted to make it look as authentic as possible. Yeah. So in this in this match, how did now what's the finish of this? What happens here? JYD gets uh, him in a small package and pins him, but then of course Funk and, and Funk and um Hart destroy him after the match to keep the heat. Yeah, uh, yeah and then uh, of course uh, you have Jimmy Hart taking his shirt off and think he's going to start beating on JYD, and then he starts to stomp him and he catches his foot and uh, keeps him from doing that. But uh, but yeah, so that the JYD still like. Was a pretty big guy in hey, look the what WWF. He comes down the aisle in this match. The fans go ape shit when he comes down the aisle. Yeah, now he did he when he was in the WWF for a little while. Did they still keep that theme song, "Another One Bites the Dust"? At the very beginning, for for the first year, and then they changed it to "Grab Them Kicks." 
when they did the WWF album. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, I know they, they didn't want to pay right, so. But that was a great song to come down to, man. Uh, uh, another one by. Uh, two of the greatest theme songs ever. He had another one, Bites the Dust, by um, Queen, and Atomic Dog by George Clinton. Those, I mean, those were perfect, perfect theme songs for him. Grab Them Cakes was a cartoon song. I never liked that song. And, but it was fitting because he started using that song when his career was on the decline. In his prime, <laughs> Atomic Dog and Another One Bites the Dust, two of the greatest um, theme songs ever for a wrestler coming down the aisle. Yeah, I mean, Grab Them Cakes had a similar chord progression of Another One Bites the Dust, and that they probably just kind of mimicked it. When you get a doo 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 Yeah. Another one busted the dust. Hey, hey, that was just crap. Yeah. And he always got a big pop. Even when he was, out, you know, past his prime, man, he, he always got a big pop. When he, when he was a, in 1990, when he did the, the um, when he was a surprise opponent for Ric Flair at the Clash of Champions, the place went apeshit. It's just, he was already over 300 pounds and he was past his prime. The sad part about it, Logan, he was in his late 30s. When you see him in 1982, He's old, he's 29 years old, 30, 31 years old, his prime. By the time he wrestled Flair in 90 and he's way past his prime, he's only 38, 39 years old. But years of drug abuse destroyed his body. Yeah, that's the same old story. He was only 45, 46 years old when he died. But, I mean, I would say he's a major feature of the WWE, WWF expansion. He was part of the rock and wrestling uh, cartoon. I mean, he. I remember, like, you know. He was in the first WrestleMania. He wrestled in the semifinal match against Greg the Hammer Valentine. He won the wrestling WWE, the WWF Wrestling Classic. Yes, against Macho Man Randy Savage, which was another great match and really elevated Macho Man. Yeah, and he and he was basically the number two babyface behind uh, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, for, when he first came in 1984, the top three baby faces in the WWF were Hogan one, Snooker two, Sergeant Slaughter three. Eventually, it'd be Slaughter two, Snooker three. Slaughter left in late 1984 over a disagreement with him wanting his own doll with another toy company, so he went to to AWA, and then Snooker's drug problems in the spring to fall of 1985 pushed him out, and that made the JYD from that point on until I would say. Piper's turn in the summer of '86 as the number two babyface in the promotion. Yeah, man, and uh, he, you know, like he maintained. I mean, now he eventually was like sent out of the WWF for just drug problems. Is that what happened? It was. It was a combination of all that stuff, and he was overweight. He had a drug problem. Um, he was no longer needed as a drawing card. This would be the summer, the fall of 1988. He was fired. He'd catch on with Crockett and Turner on and off until 1992. And then basically for the last six years of his career, from 92 to 98, he was an independent wrestler. He, a month before he died, he showed up in ECW and popped it. The crowd popped huge. Uh, and then he died very suddenly. Uh, he, it was tragic. He was driving. On, he got caught in a snowstorm on his way to try to, to, to uh, see the same daughter that they did the angle, the blinding angle, he was trying to get to a high school graduation. And he died on his way to, to her high school graduation. Well, he died in a car accident. Yeah, while driving to a, 
um, it was a huge snow, uh, it's a huge blizzard, and his car overturned, and he died instantly. Wow. So, uh, so he probably maybe he was drunk. Who knows? But uh, probably no, no, not. Probably. He didn't have any chemicals in his body. No, it was. He might have been falling asleep at the wheel. Remember, he was driving. They said from ten to fourteen hours. Oh shit. Well, anyway, uh, that's. Then his daughter right. died tragically. His daughter died of a heart attack. When? Yes. Uh, not too long after she inducted him into the WWE Hall of Fame. Oh, so he was inducted into that Hall of Fame. Now, with regard to the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, is it just that he didn't? They didn't think like he was on top long enough because he went, he, he jumped to the WWF, and according to Dave, anybody that's on his ballot, he only puts the best of the best. He 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 has no argument for anybody on the ballot if they get in. They, they they're on the ballot, then they then they deserve a shot to be in. So he doesn't have any arguments. Whenever they talk about it. the reason why he put the JYD back on the ballot is because he did research and he saw that JYD was his monster draw from 1980 to 1985, and he was like, you know, everybody else in that era is on the on the ballot, so I'm gonna put him back on the ballot. And he's, we'll see the results next week. I don't think he's getting in, but I'm hoping he continues to do his strong showing because last year he had a better showing than when he was. Prior to being on the ballot. Okay, well, maybe with this, uh, maybe if Dave uh, touts his uh, drawing power a little better, and but his, I mean, there's no question he didn't have the wrestling ability that a lot of these guys that are on there. But then, I mean, Hulk Hogan doesn't have wrestling ability. There's a lot of guys in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame that had no working ability at all, but they're in it because of their drawing power. Yeah, yeah, uh, and do you think uh, he? So you, you don't think he'll, you think he'll ever be in? I mean, because if he doesn't get in this year, I don't see him getting in oh, later. I mean, he got back on the ballot, so he's going to be on for a few years. I see. So it, there's a chance. As long as he uh, maintains the percentage, and I think he will, because last year he was above the percentage to stay on, and I think he'll get more votes this year. I'm just hoping it continues to grow and more people see. This man has Hall of Fame box office numbers. I mean. You look at all the great ter- territories and the biggest, other than Carlos Cologne, he's the only one not in. But, I mean, how many, I mean, does it have to be over a number of years? Or is, I mean, because it was only like three or four years, right? It was from 1980 in Mid-South to 84, so that's a four-and-a-half-year period. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty, that's, I mean, most people don't have it that long. I mean, after he left, after he left uh, Mid-South, New Orleans never drew again. I mean, they 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 sold out WrestleMania, but that's but WrestleMania sells out everywhere. As far as big big drawing, no one drew at, at in, no one's drawn in New Orleans since JYD left. Yeah, they kept trying to recreate it with Butch Reed and uh, with other people, and it just couldn't. They tried, but no one had that JYD magic appeal. He was just he was that everyday dude. He was like the Black Dusty Rose, if you want to make a comparison. He was used that everyday dude. You could you, the, the the blacks in that area could relate to the JYD. Now, uh, did he have ever uh, do any tags with uh, Dusty? Yes, yes. In the Superdome, uh, that same Superdome show show where he wrestled Michael Hayes, he teamed with Dusty against the Freebirds. Wow, that must have been a major pop right there, major draw. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, well, that, there you have it, man. The argument is there. He should be on the Hall of Fame. In, 19, uh, in 1983, 
when the territories were as strong as ever before McMahon took over the world, if you look at every territory, look at every territory and the big star in each territory. AWA was Hogan. Florida was Dusty. Crockett, it was Flair. Portland, it was Piper. WWF, it was Superfly Snooker. And in the mid- uh, Memphis, it was Jerry the King Lawler. And in the Mid-South, it was the one and only the Junkyard Dog. Is Piper in? Piper was one was in the first class. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess uh, it's feud with Hogan. You don't need a Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, man. So uh, we'll uh, we'll be uh, checking to see whether he makes it this year, and hopefully, eventually, he will. He definitely seems to deserve it. So um, I would uh, vote for him for sure. All right, man. Well, uh, we'll talk uh, a little bit later about the, the movie. Uh, Hoodlum, starring uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, and uh, we'll and we're we'll looking forward to that movie on Logan's Movie Reviews. So check us out there if you want to hear that review. Thanks, oh, man. I was big man. Peace. Ito Santana. Well. It's like this. They got their tag team champions. They got their tag team. But Butch Reed is going to start taking care of Butch Reed. You understand? And I can't take care of Butch Reed by listening to everybody else, listening to their suggestions. I know what I got to do to go to the top. The junkyard dog is a good, is a man. He's a bad wrestler. I got to give him that. He got the North American title. He's a champion. He is a big dog card all over the country, all around the world. And so in order for you to be one of the best, you got to be up there with the best. And dog, I want you to know, I'm issuing a challenge to you. In front of your people out here. That's right, don't get back here. I'm issuing a challenge to you, dog, to come down here and sign a contract to take me over for that North American title. I'm tired of playing around. It's time for Butch Reed to be Butch Reed. It's time for Butch Reed to show the rest of the world that I am competitive and I am a man to be recognized. Now, I'm waiting on the dog to come down here and to shine, sign a contract for the North American Championship. Well, as I said, that comes as quite a surprise to me. I'm sure it probably is just as big a surprise to the junkyard dog. And uh, Let me tell you something, Rizzo. Friendship ain't putting no food on my table. Friendship is not helping me to be a big name in professional wrestling. I don't have no friends. I don't need the dog. I don't need nobody. All I need is me. And I'm going to start taking care of me. Well, all I can say about that is that I've known the junkyard dog about as long as he's been in professional wrestling, and I've never known him yet to walk away from a challenge. So, I've been knowing him a long time myself. He's the one that got me over there. The man has helped me out. There's no doubt about that. He's helped me out of a lot of things. He got me over there at Mid-South Wrestling. He got me set up here. I appreciate that. But now it's time for Butch Reed to go to the top. And the only way I'm going to go to the top is I got to win the North American Championship. 
and I'm and I'm waiting on the dog to come down here and show what he is the dog and sign a contract to wrestle me for another man for championship. Well, I don't think you'll have to wait too long because I see the junkyard dog coming right now. And as I pointed out a moment ago, I've never known the junkyard dog to walk away from a challenge. I don't think that we'll see that now either. And I think uh, from the look on his face, he's pretty startled about this whole thing himself. What is wrong with you? I sent for you in a letter. You didn't have one I wanted to cry with. I sent your apartment up. I brought your furniture. I got you in here. And now you got here. Let me explain something to you. Let me explain something to you. That's why our people... problem now. I've been listening to you too long, man. That's why our people right now can't get to the top because crabs just like you... fans you saw it and heard it just like I did I don't understand any of it we try to get a composure and I'm going to try to find out we'll be back right after our dog's preparation for the showdown match of his career with Hacksaw Butch Reed uh, Joe Watts has produced an excellent video of this this will be the junkyard dog's battle for his life this will be a, a culmination of a two year struggle with Hacksaw Butch Reed now let's look at the intense preparation for the junkyard dog there's a lot of things that's been happening Throughout the Miss South Sports. I know a lot of people expect for me to be laying home and laying on the beach. And I take care of myself. I knew things have been happening. The pain, the stuff, the embarrassment, the things you've done to other people in the Miss South area, but not only myself, but to our people, to our folks, people, and when you talk to the people. I'm going to tell you something, but first of all, if I have to stoop so low to start doing the things that you do, maybe I'll just do the opposite.
Gorilla Monsoon, and you're going to hear some music now that'll tell you right away who the interview is all about, because when another one bites the dust, it's the Junkyard Dog, and that's who it is, all right. Everything's looking fine, everything's looking fine, everybody's getting ready now for the big showdown, ready for the big showdown. Crowd going wild for you again. Yeah, it's, just, it's very nice, man, you know, each every time I visit here in Atlanta or wherever I go, the crowd's always on my side, and it makes me feel real good. Yeah, I tell you, well, of course, i say this about you. Everywhere you go is now everywhere. You're going all over the world. I'm trying to go all over the world. You know, there's a lot of things happening, big things taking place in the WWF. You know, uh, I got the opportunity now. I've been following Tito Santana around. I've been watching his match with Greg DeHammer Valentine. Mm -hmm. And I got the opportunity to come up real soon to wrestle Greg DeHammer Valentine for, uh, right. for the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. And uh, with the help of the man above and keep my little daughter by my side, maybe one day I will become the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. You know, it could very well happen. I think, I'm just going to ask you deliberately, I don't know what they'll say. Would you fans like to see this man, the Junkyard Dog, become the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion? At random. At I random. But see, if, if vote was accounted, I win my vote, but I ain't going to take more than that with a guy like Greg Hammer Valentine. The guy's a good heavyweight. He's been ranked all throughout the country, in and out of the country, several uh, places out of the country. And uh, just watching his match with Tito Santana, I begin to learn a lot. And like I said, again, by the help of the man above my daughter, things might come my way. Well, you know, dog, the thing about it is you can ask a group of people, I don't care if they're here in the South, like we're in Atlanta, WTBS, the Superstation, you can go all over the world, though, right now, and ask any group who gathers of any age, and they'll still be rooting for you. So the point is you got the folks on your side. Now, that helps some, but yeah. that's not all it takes. No, it takes more than that, but it takes a little knowledge and stuff, and the knowledge you come in, you know, the man didn't build an empire overnight. You can't build an empire overnight, so right. I just take day by day and time by time, and maybe... Whatever man around the 31st or the 1st, I'll be walking to the bank. I'll be the Anaconda Heavyweight Town. Who knows? Let's hope. Good luck to you. We'll be back after this time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to World Championship Wrestling. I'm sure the horsemen are still anxiously awaiting the No, 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 no. We're not anxiously awaiting. The world champion is demanding right now here to be told what the surprise for himself and the horseman is. Bottom line, Ross, spit it out. Who is it? Rick, I oh, Ross, is someone you interview a guy like that, Rocky King. I don't much like that at all. We asked you real nice before, and I'm asking you again, what's this big surprise you got? You I'm, gonna, to I'm going to answer you very politely. Hey, we don't even talk to guys like Rocky King. But if you don't cough it up, I'm going to get in that ring right now, and I'm going to grab him by the neck. We'll find out right now. I'm not going to tell you. It's that simple. You have to wait. It's a surprise. You like to surprise everybody? Where are you guys going? 
Fans, the surprise for the horseman is on his way. They can't stand this anticipation. Let's go up to ring announcer Tony Gillum in our next event. Ladies and gentlemen, this match is set for one fall in the ring from Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, weighing 261 pounds, Cactus Jack Vincent! And across the ring, his opponent, he hails from Atlanta, Georgia, weighing in at 221 pounds, here he is! All right, I'll pay you a couple. Go home. Yeah. Go home. Get out of here. Leave me alone. Now you just take it easy. Rocky, get that microphone here. Relax, relax, be cool. You got no problem. You know, there's one guy that knows what this surprise is for the horseman, and I just want to know what is that surprise. Only you is gonna be surprised. Yeah. Hey, get up there. Hey. Don't give me that surprise crap! Who are you talking about, boy? Listen, we ain't gonna fool around here much longer. We got rid of Sting, we got rid of Luger, Mr. Norman, and everybody else. Now, if you don't want to get your head stuck someplace where the sun don't shine, you better be telling us what the heck is going on. And I want to know now, I want to know right now who that surprise is. Mr. Rocky King. Let me explain something to you, boy. You can't moonwalk one foot with a broken leg. So spit it out. Flat, only, he's gonna take care of you, buddy. When he's gonna be here, your day's gonna be over here. I'm telling you, only, so he's gonna move your
feet, Norman. You tied the green. My dear friend here, look here, man. It ain't 1935 no more. This is 1990, and it's a new time. I'm sitting back home. Look now. Look how they did Steve. Look how they did Luca. Look how they did Norma. Now they're going to crawl all over the dog. Hey, you can't cut ice to the tree like a cabbage. All here to no real. And I got a lot of real for them to get. If you can't stand to eat, get the hell out of my kitchen. Nothing but the dog in me. 